Hi, this is Pastor Josh from First Baptist to Queen. We're taking a look on our Wednesday night study through the book of Galatians right now. Uh, and we're in Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now, Paul writes, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So it made absolutely no sense to Paul that the Galatians would turn away from the true gospel towards something that nullified the grace of God by declaring that Jesus died for no purpose. But he says back in Galatians chapter 2, and then he used the word foolish here. That means stupid, unintelligent. Uh, it seems pretty harsh. Uh, I mean, he had a good relationship with these people, knew knew them well, having spent time there and shared the gospel with them throughout this uh, uh, region, but he, he he calls them foolish here. Now, there was uh, one of the guys I was reading, he says that the Galatians are not necessarily lacking in IQ, but in spiritual discernment. They were seeming to turn off their brains when it came to spiritual matters, resulting in being influenced away from the way of Christ. And by using the word foolish and then asking the question about their bewitching, which, you know, mentally being overpowered, or overpowering their self-discipline by means of some sort of magic, that's what that word means, Paul is saying that someone has deceived the Galatians because they allowed it to happen. So Paul writes here that it would seem that someone must have used magic on the Galatians because how could they have so quickly and definitely turned away from something so core to their belief system? He tells the people, that message of the gospel, Jesus crucified, was publicly proclaimed to them by him. He knows for a fact that they have heard the truth of the gospel, and yet they have since turned away from it. So verse 2, Paul writes, Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Then Paul tries to remind the Galatians of how they originally received salvation. He tries to jog their memories of their own personal testimonies. He is not necessarily, he's not questioning their salvation, but rather he's reminding them of their own experience. They had received salvation through faith alone and not through works of the law, but had somehow been sidetracked and misled down this road of salvation by works. You know, sometimes... We begin ourselves today to misremember our own past experiences as we are influenced by those who are very persuasive. This is the very reason all throughout the Old Testament that God has the Israelites set up reminders such as altars or pillars so that they will not forget what he had done for them. God knows the hearts and minds of people. He knows our inclination to forget his provision and his works. So he would have us set up reminders in our lives so as to remember and praise him continually. And so here, Paul is setting a reminder for the Galatians about their own time of belief. He's, he's saying, try to remember, guys, the Spirit came to you when you believed, not when you did any work of the law, right? Verse, uh, verses 3 and 4. Paul writes, are you so foolish? It's that word again. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So Paul, he says that it would be completely illogical and foolish to think you could begin the Christian life in faith and then try to live the Christian life by works. 
It is like trying to pour gas into an electric engine mid-race, hoping to make your car run better. It won't work because the engine was designed for a different kind of fuel. He's asking the question, do you find yourself becoming more perfect as you try to obey the law, or does it simply show you more and more how glaringly imperfect you are? The law was not meant to make you more Christ-like. It was meant to show you how unchristlike you are and how in need of Christ you are. So Paul then reminds the Galatians of the persecution that they had suffered for their faith, not their works. If they were to live their lives by works instead of faith, all of that suffering for Christ would have been for nothing. Verse 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So the question here is, did you earn the Spirit and the miracles because God was impressed by your behavior? Or did you receive the Spirit and the grace of God through miracles because of your faith in God's power? He's trying to remind them what faith looks like, what faith feels like, and what their own experiences with faith were. Verse 6, Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So now, Paul, here, he, he drops a bomb on the Galatians from long past that they all would have heard, but maybe they had heard so often that they no longer thought about its significant uh, significance. So Paul goes back to Abraham. The Galatians were being convinced to reach back to the law of Moses, so Paul reaches even further back to Abraham. And, and he quotes Genesis 15:6, which is like, you know, there, John 3:16. They all would have known this verse. It was essentially Abraham's moment of salvation. Abraham the father of the Jews, was declared right before God before he was circumcised and long before the law was introduced. And so Paul's argument here is that Abraham was justified by faith and not by works. So if even Abraham is justified by faith, why would they even now attempt to attain justification through the works of their hands? Paul is, is trying to get his readers to see that their line of thinking makes absolutely no sense. Verse 7, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So it would seem that Paul's opponents in the Galatian church had been claiming that the only way to be a true child of Abraham was circumcision and adherence to the law. But Paul flips the whole understanding on its head by claiming that anyone claiming Abraham as a father must do so through faith and not works. Now, this is a huge statement. Paul is saying that lineage has nothing to do with being a descendant of Abraham, which the Jews prided themselves on. They were students of, of law and, and children of Abraham, children of the covenant. But Paul writes in this verse that all of that pride that they found in Abraham was not theirs after all. Because only those who have faith can truly claim any relation to Abraham. This would have offended a great many people because of their deep cultural understanding. But Paul was reaching way back almost to shock them awake from whatever spiritual stupor they had been under lately. Verses 8 and 9. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. 
So all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, God promised a blessing on the people of the entire world through Abraham. And Paul asserts that this is God's all-knowing mind because he knew that he would bring salvation to the Gentiles. So he simply told Abraham ahead of time. And this blessing of all people was, was spoken to Abraham, who was justified before God through his faith. So then the blessing to all people must come through uh, the, the way that it came to Abraham, the same way that it came to Abraham, which was through faith. So God is not going to bring justification to one guy in one way and then to everyone else in another way. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. His way of salvation was the same then as it is now, faith. Verse 10, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now this is a quote. From Deuteronomy 27, verse 26, the law demanded perfection to the point that even failing in the most minor laws would result in the curse of sin and punishment of hell. You might be able to keep the big laws, such as, you know, do not murder, but what about do not lie or or do not have any other gods? Even one broken law invoked the curse demanding eternal punishment. The curse demands death. So then every single person carries the curse of sin because of the law's demand for perfection, of which no one is perfect. This is also contrary to what Paul's opponents taught, that justification could be attained through the law, verses 11 and 12. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Now, the, the, this this quote, "The righteous shall live by faith." This is a quote from the Old Testament, Habakkuk chapter two, verse four. And I'm sure you've all memorized the book of Habakkuk, right? But Paul here he's showing that this idea of faith being the foundation of belief does originate with God, not him. It's not some newfangled idea. It's been around for a long time, even in the Old Testament, the scripture that they hold uh, hold up as absolutely accurate and they want to live by. So he's quoting from their scripture. And so uh, he's showing this idea of faith. Uh, it originates with God. And even in teaching in the long <clears throat> past history that his opponents accept, the opponents did not know scripture and yet sought to counter Paul, of all people, in the pride from a place of lacking the knowledge of God. Verse 12 uh, quotes Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5, saying that attempting to achieve justification by keeping the letter of the law will only result, as he wrote back up in verse 10, in self-condemnation because the law is impossible to keep. And Paul should know as a former Pharisee himself. No one, if they really thought about it, wants the entirety of the law, or he wants the entirety of his life to be held up for scrutiny and judgment, for eternal punishment, where, where one simple infraction would result in a guilty verdict with the ultimate maximum penalty. So Paul is trying to urge the Galatians that there really is a better way. Look at verses 13 and 14. 
Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So in verse 10, Paul quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26, saying that every, anyone who fails to keep every single part of the law is cursed for eternity. But here, he tells us that there is an offer from someone else to take that curse from us and apply it to himself. So if, if, we, have faith in, if we have faith, Jesus removes our curse and accepts it himself, which is highly significant because his death is the only one powerful enough to destroy the curse. The quote from, from Deuteronomy 21-23 here uh, is a reference to a time when capital punishment was applied to an individual and his body was then attached to a wooden post to serve as a sign to everyone else. Uh, in verse 14, Paul tells us that the only way for the promise given to Abraham to be fulfilled was through Jesus. There is no other way to bring about its fulfillment because the blessing of Abraham was to come through faith. And that faith would be in the death and resurrection of Jesus. So according to Paul, the blessing of Abraham that the Jews looked forward to for millennia could only be witnessed once they had faith and saw Gentiles have faith in the Son of God. He gives an illustration, verse 15. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. So Paul gives this example to try to help the Galatians understand what he's talking about. He again anticipates an argument brought by his opponents, suggesting that a covenant coming at a later date would undo a previous covenant that had not yet been fulfilled. As though they were saying that the covenant given to Moses through the law is covenant that should be lived by because it is newer. So they would say that the covenant given to Moses establishes salvation through works and does away with the Abraham covenant of salvation through faith because it was a newer covenant. And Paul says, now, now, wait a minute, guys. Legally, the covenant cannot be removed once it is ratified or, or made valid unless it is fulfilled or broken. Even still, the law was not given to Moses as a permanent uh, statute, but rather it was a temporary reminder of humanity's inability to save themselves and their need for a Savior. Verse 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. So Paul now points out that the covenant promises that were given to Abraham were not fulfilled before the, uh, before the giving of the law to Moses because the promise was itself talking about Jesus, who still had not yet arrived at the giving of the law to Moses. Therefore, the promised blessing given to Abraham was not fulfilled at the time of the covenant given to Moses. So the covenant to Abraham was still in effect because it wasn't fulfilled and it wasn't broken. So Paul, he's using legal arguments to specify the actual meaning of Scripture to people who, who were picking and choosing whichever Scriptures they wanted without consideration for the meaning of the whole text in context. Again, 
his opponents were displaying their lack of knowledge of Scripture in order to intentionally put forward a lifestyle that God specifically spoke against. Verses 17 and 18. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. The law, which came from God, is not more powerful than the promise, which also came from God, because God does not contradict himself. The law did not include a promise, similar to the one included in the covenant to Abraham. So the law and the covenant by faith, given to Abraham, are, are two completely different types of things. They are not even in the same type of category. The covenant given to Abraham came with a promise of an e- eternal inheritance, which is eternal life from salvation through faith. The law did not include a promise of an eternal inheritance. The law was given as a reminder that an eternal inheritance could not be attained by yourself. For an inheritance can only be received when someone else dies, as Jesus did for us. Verses 19 and 20. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. Until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. So Paul here, he's asking the inevitable question. Why even have the law? The law came to help recognize and demonstrate what sin really was. And it remained in place until the one who would come, uh, who would fulfill the promise. The law was put in place by Moses, who was an intermediary between God and the people. The law was given to Moses, and then Moses gave it to the people. The law would then be dependent upon more than one person to be fulfilled, all the people. And if anyone violated the law, then fulfillment could not be achieved. The law would be violated by every single human being in the history of the world. But conversely, the promise given to Abraham was not conditional based upon Abraham's ability to fulfill it. It was based solely upon God's ability to fulfill it. So the promise given to Abraham still stands because God alone is fully faithful. Verses 21 and 22. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So basically, what he's saying here is, Is the law bad and the promises of God good? Paul says, no, they are both good because they both originate with God. The law is good because it gives us the full ability to recognize our own ability and our need for Jesus' help. Paul writes down in verse 21 that the law and the promise have two different purposes. And we cannot take the purpose given by God to one and apply it to the other. Scripture in verse 22 is referencing the law. And the law had to be given to help us, pointing out the prison to which sin bound us and, the fr- and that freedom could only be found in the promise accepted through a faith in Jesus. 
verses 23 and 24. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. So the law was a temporary guardian that should have been a warning against life absorbed in in habitual sinful decisions. Now, that word guardian there is interesting. It, it referenced a specific role in first century Greek culture. There, there would be a slave who was a strict disciplinarian whose job it was to raise children uh, from the age of six or seven until uh, puberty, instructing them in the way of morality and the damage of an unrestrained life. That slave was not meant to be a permanent instructor and was only to be a guide pointing to another season of life. This was the intention of the law. It was to serve as a moral instructor and and warning that continually pointed towards Jesus. Therefore, in reality, the law was meant to pave the way for faith in Jesus. But now that faith has come, and we are no longer under a guardian. Oh, sorry, that's verse 25. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Verse 25. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Now that the promise is fulfilled with the arrival of Jesus, the law is no longer necessary. There is no longer a need to point towards the future of a coming Messiah because the Messiah has already come. It is now the responsibility of the believers to point towards Jesus. And then here in verse 26, Paul transitions into a new line of discussion to help the Galatians better understand what they have and who they are as followers of Jesus. Now, thank you for checking this out today, uh, Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 26. Uh, Next time, uh, we're going to continue on in this study, go on through chapter 4. So I hope you'll join us in that next look. Uh, at, at Paul's writing to the Christians in Galatia. Thank you. See you later.